Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco, and my partner back on the stage with me, Hari. Morning. This is episode 44. In this episode, we are going to answer some of your questions. Um, you know, we've been reaching out to people on social media, and Frem is going to be on board to really push the effort. But you know, before he came on board, and we've been getting a lot of response, or, you know, a lot of uh, feedback from you guys through emails and Facebook and all these other channels. So we thought it would be a good idea to answer some of the questions in this episode, um, because I think these these questions are very worth it's worthwhile to, effort to to go over these questions because I think there is a lot of important insights to gain from these from these questions. So, yeah. well, first of all, let me let me say thank you, thank you guys for sending yeah, us uh, questions. Absolutely. Uh, so interacting with us, you know, uh, corresponding with us, this is, this is important for us and important for you guys. We want to create a community, online community where you guys can openly, we guys, we can openly talk about value investing in a, in a protected space. So what do you want to say on there? Well, yeah, if you are, if you want to send us a question yeah. for a future episode, uh, you can email us at info at valueinvestor.org, um, or you can, uh, tweet to us at, um, value investor TV. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, let's get into some of these questions that came through. The first question came. Th- um, the first question we wanted to tackle is: if you can discuss more about your investment history and evolution, as well as your track record. So, Hari, you've been a value investor for a long time. Yep. Um, and thank. And, and first of all, thank you for being a good teacher to me. Sure. Um, and many other people on the podcast. So, tell us about your investment. Uh, history and kind of where you how you grew as a as a value investor. Yeah, so I <clears throat> it was kind of weird for me that I fell into value investing in high school. Um, you know, I'm 38 years old now. Um, I was at the uh, library um, and I found this book called The Warren Buffett Way, and I'd heard about Warren Buffett from my dad, and, and you know he was at the time you know one of the richest men in the world. So I just happened to pick up this book. It was by a book by Robert Hagstrom called The Warren Buffett Way. And, you know, it, it lays out how, you know, a little bit of a biography and also what what are the tenets of value investing as put forth by uh, Warren Buffett. And so I read that book and, you know, about two or three years later, I started, uh, I, I worked at a uh, uh a company as a summer intern and had some extra money from savings. So that was my first opportunity at value investing. Um, and I started very small. I had a few thousand dollars and that money that I started with, I, I invested in my, my first company was Tommy Hilfiger. I bought it at, um, nine and seven sixteenths. Cause at the time, uh, they didn't actually do it in cents. It was in fractions. Um, so that had been, For those of you who didn't know that, that was historically from the first hundred years of the NYSE, all share prices were quoted in um, fractions of a dollar. Um, And then, so that's when I I bought it at that price. Um, And I sold it around $15 or $16. Um, And, you know, it was a, uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me to learn, you know, that because one, I, I had. I read the company. I didn't, you know, at the time there was no uh, websites like Seeking Alpha or other things to kind of tell you, oh, are you right or are you wrong? 
about your investment thesis. And, you know, my idea behind it was this company had gotten whacked um, at the time because the CEO um, or uh, <clears throat> there was a rumor floating around that the guy was racist, that Tommy Hilfiger was racist. He had then made the rounds on daytime TV and and so forth, uh, telling people, hey, you know, I've never said any of these things. And uh, and sure enough, you know, like a year later, six months, a year later, the price went up again. So, you know, and there was nothing wrong fundamentally with the company. In fact, they were doing very well at the time. Uh, and then a few years later, I think they got bought by an, another uh, company. So anyway, the, the whole point of that is there were a lot of people on, on, on articles and things like that saying that this company was worthless, you know, that they were going to go to zero and all this stuff. So th- that was my first, you know, foray in, in value investing to understand that you're really value investing is going against the grain. There are a lot of people who are going to say things. Most of it is not based on facts. Yeah. And so that was my first experience with, Hey, you know, what are the, what's the truth? And, you know, I mean, the guy is clearly not, you know, he, you know, never said any of these things. Um, and the company was, you know, doing fine. It, the sales weren't even affected by any of these things. This was just purely a media kind of created, you know, hit piece. And, you know, my history with value investing since then has been largely that is I will take an unpopular position in a company that's doing very well um, and learn to be patient. You know, so two, three, four years later, that company goes and doubles, triples, quadruples from where I bought it. Um, And so, you know, you can imagine that the small, you know, $3,000 that I started with, you know, you get a 50% return you know, or 60% return and you just keep doing that, your money compounds pretty fast. So, you know, my, you know, I'm also at the time I was working and I had a lot more free time. I went to medical school. Um, I didn't have nearly as much free time, you know, during that. And for like five years or so, I, my investments, I didn't really pay attention to. Uh, and then in 2009, 2010, I had some breathing space and I actually spent more time uh, focused on my investments. Um, but, you know, the you know, I, I'm not going to discuss rates of return and things like that. But I'll, I'll say this, that that initial amount of money, I, my during my 30s, I had it. I did. I only had a job for three years while I was in my 20s, rather. Um, and those three years, I only made forty thousand dollars a year. But with the investment that I had from that original $3,000, I was able to put, you know, money down for a house. Uh, and I was able to then, you know, as, as the last few years, I was able to buy a second house, um, and you know, other things like that. So value investing has been very good for me. I'm actually, you know, 38 years old, as I said, and I'm fairly close to retirement. You know, if I wanted to retire and you know, I actually like my job and, you know, I work for a startup, um, that makes software for health, healthcare companies. Um, and I enjoy doing that. So I'll continue to do that, but I have the financial freedom to, to quit if I needed to. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, pretty important stuff right there in in terms of your investment history, you know, starting small, but money compounding really fast. Yep. And really the, the essence of this is to find a truth and then wait for the market to realize that truth. Yep. And so the patient is another element that's so important in value investing. And so, I mean, that's pretty 
astounding to me. You know, I am in the midst of learning and I'm in the midst of that exponential growth. And for people out there like myself, people who are listening, who are in that phase of, okay, you know, when you look at any exponential curve, when you see the very first few years, it looks like a very slow linear growth. It may be even flat for a long time. Yep. But then after, after a certain number of years, it spikes and the slope starts to pick up. Yep. And so for people out there who are in that phase, do you have any comments to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's everybody wants to go faster, right? Like you want to be a billionaire tomorrow, right? But that's not what value investing is about, right? <clears throat> if you think about it this way, that you're going to guarantee those results if you stick to this discipline. But you have to stick with it. That means that when things don't look good or when they're not working out the way that you want them to, you still stick with it. And I, I've had times where, you know, even recently where companies, everything looks great and somebody, you know, there's a short seller attack or something like that, the price goes down. And then I, the, the first thing I do is I go back and look at the fundamentals and confirm my thesis that, you know, this is still a good company. Did something change? You know, is there a possibility? Did I miss something? And, you know, the, the most, for the most part, when I make those, you know, the conviction of sticking with what I'm, what I'm thinking about, I, I have never found a company that doesn't eventually achieve the value that, you know, it, you know, it, it, it planned for, yeah. right? Like that, that you estimated the, it, the difference is it's how long does that take? And you'll see people who say, yeah, I'm, I bought this thing or I used options and I tripled my investment and all this stuff. And what they're not telling you, because this is the way social media works, is they're not telling you about the times that they lost money, right? And that's what happens when you are a trader, right? Is that you win some, you lose some. And at the end of the day, the house always wins, right? And so just like at the casino in Vegas, you're not going to be making a ton of money. Yes, there are people who made good money doing this and so on. But if you want to guarantee your results, value investing is the way to do that. Because ultimately, all of these assets will eventually become there. It's just how patient are you uh, to wait till that comes. Right. And again, kind of important piece here is really a patient side of things. Right. And I think um, you know, consistency in terms of returns if you want to guarantee that return in terms of cons you know consistent consistent returns, patience is so important in this process. And you know, I have the privilege to being close to Hari and learning from him that you know through these you know through the thick and thin, uh, you know tough times and bad times, you know it, it's important to stick to your guns and really you know patience, you know, being patient through this whole time, and having somebody like that next to you really helps. And I think we want to create that kind of community. For you guys online also. So when you're in doubt about your investment thesis, you know, check. The Marcus Market will throw you curveballs. You know, a company that was worth $80 just suddenly dropped to 50 something for some hit you know, news hit piece. Um, you know, sticking to your guns and, and, and making sure that your investment thesis is actually a sound investment thesis. And actually, I think it's a good opportunity to check when, yeah. these, when these things come around. Well, you know, the thing is when you invest, every one of these investments you make is a learning opportunity. And the amazing part about learning like this is you have a financial stake in, in what, what you learn. You could easily, you know, do one of these virtual stock exchange things where 
you know, you play against other people and you do this, you know, on a short term basis or yeah. whatever. That's not actually <clears throat> that doesn't have the same teeth as having real money in the game. Even if it's a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, it really makes you focus. Yeah, for sure. And then when you start focusing, what you start learning is, look, I, I if I am willing to do the work, I will find undervalued assets, and then I will invest in them, and I will I will see returns. Um, but the the real challenge is, which is why we're not trying to give you a list of companies to buy. You know that. <clears throat> We don't know your circle of competence. We don't know what you know. So that's why we're trying to tell you, figure out, you know, build your framework to how, you know, for you, so you can find companies. Yeah, this mental mental framework. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and then once you have that mental framework, you can go out there and, and make assessments. I don't know what you know. You don't know what I know, right? So I can't tell you if this is something that you understand or not. That's That's a decision that you have to make. But if you are willing to put in the effort, you will see returns. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you don't see the twenty-five or thirty percent returns that you know some of the the greatest investors find. But even at fifteen percent a year, you're going to do very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's you know you talked about the investment, your investment history, kind of your evolution as you went from a novice investor to a more seasoned investor. And so kind of on that last point, you know, how, you know, like Charlie Munger talks about Warren Buffett changing. Warren Buffett talks about how Charlie Munger changed him in terms of his investment process. You know, he, for those of you who don't know the evolution of Warren Buffett's investment thesis, investment process, he was more of a strong, you know, value-oriented person, kind of Benjamin Graham type of person that looked for really undervalued, you know, he, the metric that he loved to use was, you know, book, price yeah. to book. Really looking at the book value and seeing undervalued company now with Charlie Munger in his life, his thesis became more of a find a great company at a fair value. Yeah. So fair value, you know, fair value, but a fantastic company. Buy that instead of buying a average company at a great price. Yeah. And and so for you, that's here's my question for you. Did did anything like this happen in your investment history? Did any sort of evolution happen in your investment? process well so yeah um you know my initial you know when i bought tommy hilfiger and bought you know i bought another company called pacific care health systems i actually had more of a pure value mindset at the time tommy hilfiger was trading at around nine dollars as i said and i had estimated their based on free cash flow that they were worth about 18 so when i saw it go up you know i sold out um, but there was a company, Pacific Care Health Systems, that had a, they were a, a California-based um, insurance, health insurance provider. And they had a book value of $33 a share, and they were trading at like $6 a share. Wow. And so I bought that, and it was a 10-bagger. It went up to $60 a share, and that's when United Healthcare bought them out. Um, you know, and, and so I had no idea what health insurance was, like... Um, and so I, I, I started, you know, thinking, oh, well, this is the slam dunk that I need. And so I invested in a company that I had no idea what they do. It was pure book value uh, thing, and they were called Finova Group. And uh, they later, you know, the stock price went from like $4 a share to like a dollar. And 
I, uh, you know, I sold out before, you know, but I didn't understand what the company did. Mm -hmm. And so my temperament is more around after, you know, looking at that and seeing, making the mistakes that I had made, I started realizing that I feel more comfortable when I can see what the long-term company will do prospects and the prospects. And, and, you know, you know, if you look at a company like Amazon, right? If you bought Amazon when they were IPOing at four hundred million dollar market cap, and now they're you know they almost crossed a trillion dollars yeah. or they're trading very high there, right? You could have put that down, did your assessment, and say, hey, online shopping is going to be a big deal, and never looked back, right? Your returns would be better than you know trading, doing all of these crazy things, and you made one decision, right? So I I really like that idea, right? Of focusing on one company and understanding it and seeing that they have a super long runway and then letting my, cause the thing is I don't have to pay taxes. Um, they just keep compounding their growth over time. It's a fantastic way to, you know, yeah. to, to, to earn. And, uh, when you look at the people, there's a great book called, uh, hundred baggers, uh, that talks about that, these high return on equity companies, you know, they, they reverse engineered, what what it, does it take to go you know to get a hundred x return on your investment? And I mean, let's be honest. If you had three of those in your lifetime, a hundred x return, so you're you done. You're done, right? So I've I've never hit a hundred x return, but I've hit you know ten x, and you know I sold out um, you know of those kind of investments. But these are things that you know you would want to you know to see you know as, as a investor. Uh, so, you know, that's that's where I would say focus on, right, is looking at the long term. That's that's what we've been trying to teach. Yeah. Uh, teach you guys. Yeah. It's interesting. The evolution of your investment process, you know, starting from more of a true kind of you know, original value individual per, to uh, kind of value slash growth and great company kind of mindset. Yeah. Um, which I think is very appropriate for nowadays. I think is very appropriate, you know. For you, if if it fits you, it's great for you. If it doesn't fit you, then you got to find something else. Different flavors of value investing. Yeah, and and there are certainly lots of successful people who've done lots of different things. Exactly. So so don't take that as the only way to do it. Right? Yeah. And and then I think that's a great segue to the next question, which is discuss different topics and books in value investing world. For example, Greenblatt's Magic Formula or Special Situation, Peter Lynch, etc. So. The reason why I say it's a great segue is because, you know, Greenblatt always, 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 always talks about the special situations where, yeah. in which he made a lot of money. And one of these inv- special situations is a spinoff, you know, distressed assets, et cetera. So uh, let's go into this. Uh, so discuss some of the different books. Um, so you want to talk about some of the books that it has that have uh, influenced you deeply? Yeah. So um, I think we'd mentioned already the Robert Hagstrom's The Warren Buffett Way. Which is a fantastic book, by the way. It it's a great intro to value investing, mm-hmm. um, and it it kind of highlights a lot of different aspects of value investing, um, and really how to analyze companies. But you know, the question that was asked also talked about Joel Greenblatt. So there are two books that I I, I really love by Greenblatt. I, I'm not sure if he actually has other ones uh, beyond that. But uh, the first one is uh, "You Can Be a Stock Market Genius." Um, and I think it has a subtitle to like uh, without really trying or something like that. Um, that one is probably one of the best 
value investing books, um, he talks about in there these things that are called special situations. Mm-hmm. So special situations are like spinoffs, stock spinoffs. Um, they are uh, companies that are emerging from bankruptcy and, um, you know, companies that have warrants. Um, so there's lots of different areas. I think one that we'll do an entire podcast on or two is talking about spinoffs. Um, cause if you, if you actually just look at it, if you bought every spinoff since 1986 to 2016, you would have an annualized return of 20%. So just indiscriminately just buying spinoffs, which is a, you know, a fantastic return. So then if you focus on the ones that you actually can understand and know something about, sure. you may actually get a much better return than that 20%. Mm-hmm. So spinoffs are a great way to, to look. And Joel Greenblatt, um, you know, is, is a fantastic investor and has done extremely well oh, yeah. over a long period of time. Um, and then he has another book called The Magic Formula, um, wh- or the little book that helps you beat the market. Um, and it's a, you know, both of these are easy, very easy reads, um, and I would highly recommend uh, picking them up. Yeah. The, uh, the, the magic formula, though, is focused on return on capital and um, a... Uh, and he defines the return on capital um, and and then on, on a valuation metric. And then you rank order the the, the stocks with the lowest score, uh, or I guess the highest the score. More in each. value. Yeah, so the, the more value with the higher rate of return. And if you buy those stocks, you get a market-beating return. Yeah. So um, I think actually Greenblatt uses that formula to filter stocks and screen for things. Yeah. So And you can actually get his uh, access to his website for free yep. uh, magicformulainvesting.com yeah if you go there uh, they'll uh, it'll, it'll give you a list of companies that fits that <clears throat> description yeah that he talks about in his book so Greenblatt obviously a very very famous value investor he wrote a couple books like you mentioned probably more books but two books that are that are really outstanding uh, Peter Lynch um, I know it, you are great you, yeah. you follow Peter Lynch quite uh, Quite a bit. Yeah. So talk about that, please. Yeah. So if I had to say who do I associate with the most, um, it would be probably be Peter Lynch and and Charlie Munger more so than even Warren Buffett and uh, these other Very folks well. that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. So Peter Lynch, for those of you who have never heard of him, um, started or worked on the Magellan Fund uh, from nineteen ninety or nineteen seventy seven to nineteen ninety or nineteen ninety one, and in that time he crushed the market by like 10%. So, but he was actually running a mutual fund. So, which, I mean, you want to talk about putting shackles on your um, ability to do stuff. Um, But Peter Lynch basically just said, look, I'm not going to do what everybody else does in the mutual fund industry, which is basically buy the same companies and, you know, that kind of stuff. He was like, I'm going to go out there and find undervalued assets and buy them. And that's what he did. And he did it very successfully. But he imparted a couple things in me that I think were really important is, and th- this really hits at the idea of circle of competence is that invest in things that you understand and know. And so he's like, you know, at the yeah. time, you know, malls were a lot more yeah. com- popular and stuff. He would walk down the the hall of the mall and just look at all these new businesses and then go and figure out if they're publicly traded, um, which has its pluses and minuses. Obviously, you need to understand what the company does, which is a good thing, but is it still a good investment? So you don't indiscriminately buy things that you like because mm-hmm. they may not be good investments. Right. So Peter Lynch was a fantastic 
investor, and he had two books, one up on Wall Street and Beating the Street. Um, both I would highly recommend. Great, yeah. Peter Lynch, um, yeah, I read both of those books. Fantastic, fantastic yeah. books. Uh, let's move on to the next author, Charlie Munger. I know you read uh, Charlie. You read Charlie Munger quite a bit. Um, tell us about that, please. So, Charlie, um, you know, the, there's a couple ways to learn from Charlie. Uh, one is the CNBC has a uh, archive now, which with full text search of all of the Warren, uh, the Berkshire Hathaway meetings where Warren hey. Buffett and Charlie Munger answer questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find that online and it's free to use, um, which is a fantastic resources to learn from Munger. Um, he also has the daily journal company, which he is a, uh, the chairman of, um, and he, uh, answers questions and things like that. But I, I think the, really the best book to learn from him, um, and this was a book that kind of changed my investment philosophy when, uh, is poor Charlie's almanac. So it's a, um, uh, it's this hardcover uh, book, um, and you know if you don't know about Charlie Munger, he is a big fan of Benjamin Franklin. So uh, uh, that's hence the name, Poor Charlie's Almanac. Uh, so Ben Franklin was a you know wrote the first almanac in the 1700s. So so Charlie Munger really you know focuses on this idea of I'm going to buy three or four companies, I'm going to hold them for a few years, and then realize the value, and then you know kind of move on and. If I only make one investment decision a year, that's fine. Or if I make no investment decisions a year, that's fine. But I'm only going to wait until there are home runs, right? I'm not going to try and hit base hits. And I have I have a lot of respect for him for he the way that you know. So the the book is actually some speeches that he gave to business schools and other other things. But the clarity of how he communicates shows that he he understands these things then the other thing that I, I really love about him is that he he has this idea of you know in order to be a good investor it's not just about being a good investor and understanding business it's understanding mm. everything yeah. he the guy was a lawyer for 15 years or 10 years and he, he decided one day that you know to hell with this i'm just gonna I, I want to spend all my time reading and and learning. So he, you know, put his money into some real estate holdings, made a million dollars or so, and then had enough money to live off of for the rest of his life. Uh, and that million dollars turned into, you know, two billion, you know, with a lot of donations that he's made over the years. So, regard, you know, a- anyway, the the whole point of it is, if you haven't read that poor Charlie's almanac. I would stop what you're doing right now and go buy it. <laughs> yeah, I think pull a, over in the car, <laughs> get on Amazon and yeah. buy it. I think it's really powerful concepts that he talks about. The fact that you have to learn a lot. Yeah, and you know he talks about this in a very humbling way, also. Yeah, um, you know his children. Talk, he, his children calls him a book with some arms and legs. I think. Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty hilarious, but. This guy is just a learning machine. Yeah. He just reads and reads and reads, and he's so knowledgeable about all these different ideas. And one of the things that he uh, really likes to talk about is kind of people's psychology. Yeah. He's really into that. And so um, so go go check out Charlie Munger if you haven't. Yeah, and I'll say one, two more things that um, we've mentioned on the podcast before is the power of incentives. Um, 
he's he he opened my eyes to the idea of you know management is going to do what's best for management not for the shareholder so you want to make sure that management and the shareholders are aligned properly right which is on our checklist and the other thing is that he really talks a lot about return on capital or return on equity, equity yeah. companies that have high return on equity over the long period of time that's the, the rate of return that you're going to get you saw that last week when we talked about nvr over the last 20 years they basically returned you know 30 percent a year you know, for that uh, for that company, that's happens to be their return on equity. So, uh, I that was a completely mind blowing concept. And this is something I'd learned for fifteen years and never understood. And then he just said that, and it, everything clicked. So, yeah. he talked about. Um, let's move on to the next book, uh, which is the Outsiders. Let me talk yep. about that. So, this is also a fantastic book, um, and it it. The the thing that it, it talks about is how do you determine whether a CEO is a good CEO or not, right? Of a publicly traded company, the best way to know that is what is the rate of return for shareholders? Shareholder return. Yeah. yeah. So if you look at um, CEOs that are in the news a lot, right? You know, Facebook is something that is literally every day there's an article in some, uh, you know, journal, Wall Street Journal or other newspaper. And... You know, everybody talks about Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg. Well, if you look at it, you know, from a the outsider's perspective, which is they look at, they focus on the rate of return. There are so many companies that you've probably never heard of that have been crushing that, you know, the, the returns that, that they've gotten. And that's because they focus on shareholders above all else, right? Because they usually are their own shareholders, right? And so the outsiders really talks about you know, several companies, one of them is Capital Cities, which is a company Warren Buffett invested in. Um, and, you know, they have some hilarious stories about how, you know, to cost, you know, cost cutting, you know, Capital Cities actually has owned a bunch of TV stations. And there's a building that they had that was facing the road. And it was looking really bad. And they said, you got to paint it. So instead of painting all four sides of the building, they only painted the two sides that you could see from the street, <laughs> just to save like, 20 bucks on a you know a can of paint right i mean that's the kind of level of you know discipline discipline that yeah. you have to have as a good investor right because uh and that's and that that really kind of highlights this idea that business owners are also good investors right that the the difference between owning a small percentage of the company as individual investors like you and me or owning the whole thing there's really no difference, right? You want to see the the rate of return, and you know that maximizes your shareholder return, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why the low cost moat, uh, which we've always talked about, is the most powerful thing. Because if you can sell it for cheaper than everybody else, you win. Yeah. So these outs this, the outsider book. The reason why it's called Outsiders, the Outsiders, is is because it talks about it mentions eight CEOs. I think it's eight eight yep. CEOs that are not in the limelight. And that's why that's why it's called outsiders. They're not in the limelight. They're not in people's psyche on a day to day basis, like Zuckerberg, for example, or Bezos. Mm -hmm. But these outsider CEOs have crushed crushed these insider people, you know, yep. people who are in the limelight. And it talks about these eight CEOs have done it uh, in a very humble fashion from outside. So that's why it's called outsiders. Do check that out because it's a fa it's a fantastic book. Yeah, and and if if they made an outsiders two, the I would put NVR in that, in that 
you know, you th- those guys are focused on shareholders and there you go. You know, let's see, uh, another book, uh, Dondo investor. Yeah. So, uh, Monish Pabrai is a famous, uh, you know, value investor. Um, he became famous because he and his, uh, friend Guy Spear bought a lunch with Warren Buffett and they, um, you know, so they listened to, you know, Warren Buffett give their wis- his wisdom about value investing. And then Guy Spear wrote a book called The Education of a Value Investor, which is a fantastic read. And Amonish um, Pabrai wrote a book called um, uh, The Dondo Investor. And so, <coughs> excuse me, the um, both books are a fantastic read, but they, they kind of highlight their philosophies on value investing. So it's again, it's not Neither of those guys is a is a Charlie Munger type investor. They look for more uh, value plays, um, but I, I would highly recommend reading them because it's you know whatever fits your style of investing. You know you should read a diverse set of books and then kind of piece together what is your framework that you want to build. So. Yeah, exactly. So go do, do check that out. Downward Investor and Educational Value Investor Guide Guy Spear and Downward Investor by Monish Monish Pabrai. Yeah, so the, that's uh, these are the questions that we have in front of us today. Uh, we'd be happy to answer more questions, so please do send us our way. Uh, and again, Fram is going to be in charge of our social media, so do send us uh, on social media, Twitter, uh, valueinvestor at TV, that's our handle, or uh, our email, info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, we'd be happy to take any questions um, going forward. Also, you know, as we as we have done in the in the previous episodes, you know, we are covering companies. And so if there's a company that you'd want us to cover, uh, please do send us. We have a list of companies that uh, our listeners have sent over. Uh, American Outdoors, uh, Weight Watchers, Pet Med Express, and some others. So we'd be covering those on future episodes. But if, yep. you have, if, you have these, if you have companies that you want us to cover, please do send it over so we can put it on our queue of companies to cover. Uh, that's it for us in this episode, episode 44. Uh, we had a few questions um, talking about you know investment history, kind of books, and some of the lessons that we learned from these books. And uh, interesting, his, interesting history of Hari's, uh, his own evolution in terms of his investment thesis, investment process. So that was a rich conversation. Thank you, all, guys. Thank you all of you for joining us in this episode, episode 44. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, guys. Thanks.